the big reason I do this podcast is I want to get people that are actively doing the Shawshank crawl to building a company versus people that are been there, done that, went to the beach and forgot the grind. What's like the one habit that you have that helps you navigate this Shawshank crawl to the next stage of growth for you? It might sound cliche, but at the end of the day, I believe there are two things that help me. One is having your North Star point of view. If you don't have a point of view, it's going to get harder to execute uh, because there will be competitors who will raise shitload of money. There will be a lot of these acquisitions and every single one will, will do something. And so you can't get scared if you believe that you truly have that point of view. And that point of view also doesn't come in from thin air. You got to do that research. You got to do a lot of reading, understand how the world is evolving and try to find the uh, intersection of these different fields. Then the second thing I end up focusing was that Welcome to Sass and Scotch. I'm TK, founder at Unstoppable. On this podcast, I talk about the two things I love the most, SaaS businesses and Lockerville and Scotch. On today's episode, we have Aditya Kotadia joining us, founder of Avoma. We'll be digging into his founder's story and the incredible work he's doing at the intersection of AI and sales tech. Aditya, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Super excited to be here. Awesome. So it's Thanksgiving. It's not quite Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is over, but I like using this thing. It's Thanksgiving. How do you explain to grandma what Avoma does? <laughs> That's a great one. Avoma, fun fact is it stands for a very organized meeting assistant. So remember if you're <laughs> having awesome. these... <laughs> I just had to look it up. I'm like, nope, he's right. That's true. That's exactly what it is. That's amazing. We had to get creative to get the short and sweet.com domain name. So that's the story and inspiration what it is. Uh, and the whole idea is that you do these remote meetings over video conferencing tools and so much is going on while you're having conversation, you can't actively listen and you have to get distracted to take notes. And so that's where we felt there's so much going on and how can there is not an assistant who would actually help me to have effective conversations still at the same time, make sure that all the important information that gets discussed, decisions made, action items get discussed, all of that information gets captured. So Voma essentially is an automatic system which helps you to record this call, convert those into summarized notes, and you get these notes. And if you're someone like salesperson who use any particular CRM, those notes also automatically get saved into that particular customer record. So you don't have to spend time manually doing all these things and you can focus on your customer and conversation. That's awesome. I, I want to dig more into this and into Avoma, but so the prevailing thing that stuck out in my mind was it, it's 2020 and somehow note-taking apps ended up being one of the categories <laughs> that garnered millions of dollars in venture capital. Like of all the things, of all the innovations, I want to dig into that a little bit. What's your take on that? Like, how do you think about Avoma, what you're doing, where it's, listen, you don't need to take notes, we'll take notes for you. And then all of a sudden, all these note-taking apps are like crazy good. Like, what, what the hell is going on? It's 2020. This is interesting. I think I bring note-taking as a, it's not, I would say, the category itself is a note-taking, but when you think about it, it's part of the whole collaboration movement that's happening. 
more and more people are realizing that collaboration is how the work gets done. That's how agility companies, how you operate. If there is a friction in your collaboration, those companies are going to fall behind. Modern companies are adopting being more collaborative. That's why you hear the success of Slack and everything else. And when I think about it, interestingly, with now the recent sales, Slack and Salesforce acquisition, I had this hypothesis that if you look at 10 years ago, whatever, when Salesforce started, the whole idea was that system of record. And I think you also talk about these things. Then you did TauTap, which was basically realized that, hey, the system of record is not enough and you need to do a system of engagement. So all the email communication, calling, all those things started getting automated. Now yeah. there was so much activity was happening. People started missing the understanding, okay, what's happening? Then they came in this whole system of intelligence telling you how many emails have been sent, who's doing what, and giving the forecasting intelligence based on that. What I realized that was, if you look at the sales, how it gets executed, there's no one person who's actually doing everything end to end. There's so much collaboration happens. You need support from your marketing team or product team, or even your leadership management, you pull in your leadership to close deals. That's when I realized that it's false to assume that the salesperson is responsible to close deals. And if you want to have that, so the deal velocity to be faster, you need to make the collaboration for the salespeople and in general, just the sales and the revenue teams and the product teams to be hyper collaborative. That's when I realized that the next innovation is going to be a system of collaboration. Mm -hmm. So when we started thinking about this problem, I felt Slack was already doing it, but they were again, only focusing on one particular instant messaging related things. You start seeing some of the application around email is getting more collaborative as well. So every single service, I feel that by default, SaaS companies, if they're not collaborative, they're holding back their users and they're holding back the potential that they have. And so that's how I think about note-taking is a functionality or one particular feature. But I would say that definitely all what you're hearing, some other note-taking apps are becoming more powerful. It's the real-time collaboration. That is what is actually, in my opinion, is driving this growth or the valuations, what it is today, including Zoom, Slack, all the other giants ones as well. I think that's a very good point. Yeah, I think the things that come to my mind is Rome research they raised, and that was a network note-taking. But in some cases, collaboration with others, in other cases, is better collaboration with yourself almost. Yeah. And the litmus test that I apply for a startup is, I ask two questions. One is, have people, whatever you're trying to do, have people always been doing this? And then the second question I ask is, was it reserved only for the very affluent and now you're democratizing it? And in a way, like when I looked at Avoma, I thought of, I'm a big Mad Men fan. And I thought about every meeting they were ever in. And there was like, this was in the 60s. It always had quote unquote, the girl that was in the corner taking the notes. <laughs> and she had to summarize everything and follow up. And it's just like totally sexist and misogynistic, but that's how it worked back then. And only those Madison Avenue companies would have it. Whereas what you guys have is an AI assistant that's going to take all the notes and summarize and log and, and follow up, which is, so it checks off both my, that's why one of the reasons why I loved having you on the show. This checks out like this has existed before. It was reserved for the affluent and now anyone can have it. Your random sales rep can have it, which is very powerful. You're hundred percent spot on. That is exactly, interestingly enough, when I was doing customer development for Avoma back then, this was three years ago, I actually met with a sales leader from a very large company $100 million plus revenue company. And one of the things he had told me that they had this uh, really amazing salesperson. And typically when you think about executive assistant, it's only the CEOs would have this executive assistant who is taking notes for them. They're not spending time. They're having this effective conversation. 
And this one salesperson was basically the one in the company who had this dedicated executive assistant hired for him because he was so good. He was their top performer that they didn't want him to waste any time on doing any admin work. He would just jump on from calls to calls with strategic conversations. And this person would do the scheduling, follow-ups, email, data entry, whatnot. That's when I realized that why not, if that guy's a top performer, do you believe that maybe there could be other top performers who are struggling, holding themselves back because of this manual admin work that they need to do? And so yeah. can we actually democratize that experience? That is exactly uh, why the genesis of Obama was. I want to talk more about Obama, but before we do that, you're a second time founder, if not third, yep. uh, your second time. That's accurate. And you exited your last company. <laughs> you were on the product side at the acquired company, you did your stint there. And then you started Avoma. Talk to me about like, how'd you come up with the idea? How'd you take the plunge? How did this all come about? Sure. One of the things that when my previous company was also a SaaS company, we had bootstrapped that a large enterprise company ended up acquiring it. And for the first year, we did the integration with their larger product suit. And after that, the CEO gave me this charter, Aditya, go figure out what's the next innovation in this whole AI self service, because we were in the uh, customer support space, um, our previous company. And so one hand, I had the domain expertise about automation and applying the natural language understanding related technology to automate the human work that was happening, the live chat related situations. But in that process, what ended up happening was that any new initiative that used to come in, CEO would give it to me because I was this startup guy who had done something from scratch uh, and build a company. So he would say, hey, uh, take this initiative, one line, the description of what needs to be launched <laughs> and go figure it out. I'm laughing because that's familiar would... after I got acquired also. This is what they do. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because they know who are the go-getters and who'll get things done. You'll not ask 20 questions and give all the constraints and all of that. And so he would say that, hey, go and do this. And I would assemble the team, put the 90-day POC proof of concept plan, and at the same time, we'd go and uh, talk to our larger customers, try to sell them the concept that, hey, uh, this is what we're building and we want to, is this something would you buy? So what I've seen was that I was selling, I was with, at the same time was building the product. And once the product was launched, we would go and deploy this to customers. And the deployments would be very smooth and we would have very extreme conversations where I would learn a lot. All these customer conversations used to be goldmine where I would know exactly what the pain points are. And I would immediately go back and fix those issues. Once these initiative kind of products were getting matured, I used to hand it over to our go-to-market team, prepare sales collateral, hand it off to them, and I would go back to my product management hat, and then I would stop learning. I would not know what's going on, and uh, we would do webinars, and we would generate all these leads, but the deals were not getting closed. And I'm like, what's happening? And I used to check in Salesforce, hey, what notes are there, what concerns or uh, objections customer had, and there would be one word, very expensive. And I was like, that is the <laughs> That's the notes that I was looking for. We could have addressed that concern uh, any other ways. And so that's when I realized that I don't have visibility into what our sales uh, team are doing, what conversations or uh, objections customers are having, what requirements they are sharing. And I thought on one hand, I was building this technology with AI for the customer support. And I realized that the way we are serving our customers in the B2B world, it's still broken. I don't have any visibility. It's a black box to me today. That was the genesis I said. And I, actually, interestingly enough, I talked to my CEO addressing that concern. Hey, we should record every single call, have them log, who goes back and listens to the call. So 45 minute call, nobody wants to go back and listen to it. And so that's when I realized that, hey, you know what? Instead of solving this problem here in the organization, 
maybe there is an opportunity to go and build this company. And that's when I left the company and started this. And did you have the, what you're doing now? Is it the same thing that you set out to do that it come together beautifully and it's the best version of it ever? Or did you do like a wild pivot? No, it's the same thing. We had this vision. One of the things I did invest was extensive customer validation and customer research for the six months while I was looking for searching for my co-founders. Yeah. I had already quit my job. I did not have a co-founder. I quit my job and I met probably at least 30 different people like AI experts, NLP experts to see if they would like to come and join these hands with me to uh, start this company. But through that journey, while I was not building the product, I was talking with all the sales leaders, customer success leaders, internal leaders, where the one thing I would say that the idea was always there and it still remained the same. Few things probably might have changed here and there is this focus, which customer has this pain the highest, but that also came in very early on through this customer research itself. Who cares about this information? Whose life or workflow dependent on this? That's when instead of saying, meeting a system, which is extremely horizontal problem, let's try to do it for everyone we basically ended up uh, focusing on, I know you talk about this initial customer profile. Yeah. That is how we started prioritizing. Got it. Fascinating. As you embarked on this, what did what is the one thing that you did differently as a second time founder where you're like, nope, like we're going to do this. What was the one thing because of your experience on the first time around that you indexed on differently the second time around? I think we won definitely... It's still not the easy journey, even if it's if you're a second time founder. One thing we did was, yeah, uh, the problem I'm, itself was. No lot- kidding. That's that's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize. It's it's not boom. It, it humbles you, right? Like the second time, it really exactly. humbles you. Exactly, and your ambition also gets bigger. So my right. first company was not as complex. This was freaking complex problem. We knew that. Are we going to be in this for ten years? Because it's a complex problem. It sounds easy, but really to solve this problem end to end, it's going to take a lot of time. So. First of all, the ambition was bigger. That's why the problem was still complex and it still made the journey even more difficult. But to answer your specific question, one thing we did differently was that I did not definitely over-optimize on having the product as a perfection product. We kept launching. It, it was broken with multiple different things. A lot of features were not existed, like even payments the way we did. I remember my first startup where when I launched, I had every single thing figured out, all the subscription plans, how the discounting is gonna work. Everything was figured out. Here, we, I, I remember my first conversation with customer. I said that he said, hey, uh, we want to launch this and we want to test it out. I said, why don't you give me your recordings, put it in the Dropbox and we'll manually go and record, transcribe those for you and give it back to you. And you'd let me know how the value has been. We started taking manual notes for this customer. We asked them, would you mind if we actually write notes manually for you? So every single thing I questioned, do we need to build it? Or is there any other way where I can still make the progress and deliver the value to the customer. So we definitely ended up not prioritizing a lot of features. I even tell my one of my investors, uh, we raised capital. And uh, this investor had this one feature requirement since three years ago. He still requests me, like, can I have that one functionality? And I still kept saying no to him because that's not our core use case. And I, I know that saying no to feature requests is one thing definitely gets difficult, but that's definitely, I did a lot in this and I, we keep pushing we see that, can we deliver the value to customer by any other means? And if it's getting solved, that's okay. If it becomes very obvious over the period, we'll continue to address that. So I totally understand and I agree, but for the audience, maybe we have a lot of folks that are first time founders. 
what is the scar tissue behind that lesson learned? Like, wh why did you do it that way? It's a speed to market. I think it's, if nobody cares about the value that you're building, first of all, you're wasting time building all these things. And then you realize that customers actually have different workflow. You have very limited understanding of how, you, definitely you did a lot of customer research, but still when it gets into the hands and it becomes part of their workflow, they will come up with different user cases or use cases or different flows. That's how you learn it. And so the idea was that, how can we start immediately delivering value to customer and really testing, are they willing to pay? Is the aha moment being delivered or not? Is what I was always trying to figure out. We didn't need to, they didn't need to know that is truly the AI is taking notes or not. I wanted to see if they cared about the notes and how third party person can take notes for them, assuming we can mimic that with the AI, uh, would they be happy with those kind of information delivered to in their inbox? Yeah. Uh, those are the initial aha moments we were trying to figure out and would they be willing to pay? And also how much are they willing to pay? I remember this conversation, I had this conversation with salesperson and he said, okay, 50 bucks, I can pay you. But an engineer said that I'll pay five bucks because now you see the anchoring of Slack versus Salesforce people are used to buying at very high price point versus people are buying Slack at low price point. That also helped me to realize that who needs to really, where we need to focus which customer segment. So that's why I decided to not over prioritize feature needs to be perfect, but ship it something shift fast and learn from customers' inputs. Yeah, you're in the AI space. And one of the things that's interesting, and I, I bet this is why also it's super important what you're doing of ship fast, figure out if there's impact to the customer and then go solidify it and double down on it. AI, in, so first of all, AI, I think is like the next big platform shift, right? It, mm -hmm. was, it was hosted, then it was, online. It was moving to SaaS as a service. It was, and then there was mobile, that was a shift. And the next big shift is AI. And okay. the reason shifts are important is that's where great companies are born. Like all the massive companies we think about today, they were born because of a shift. And for some, whatever crazy reason, those well-entrenched companies never can participate as well in the shift. They just don't do it. They'll have to acquire or they get irrelevant. So AI is probably a shift, right? AI is one of the next big platform shifts. And one of the things that's tough about AI is a lot of people call a lot of things AI. And a lot of times it's really a bunch of engineers with lab coats on it, writing a bunch of FL statements and messing around with the data manually, especially in MarTech where I come from. So for, from your perspective, just broadly, like where do you think is AI in terms of a platform shift, in terms of true AI, in terms of what you guys are doing with AI, what's your take on it? It's a very vast field. There are different variations of it as well, but I'll give you, first of all, I don't think the way I think about AI, um, obviously it's artificial intelligence, but I actually like to believe it's more like an augmented intelligence. And what it means is that expecting that humans are out of the loop and AI is gonna completely replace some of these things, especially for complex use cases, is maybe we are over-promising and definitely under-delivering, and then people are losing the faith in AI. So the best way I think about it is that, and it's all incremental progression as well. You still, you talked about the use case, if else statement. I think I don't try to devalue those people who are doing that because maybe they have this ambition of making it AI. Yeah. It's just that's how the journey starts. You got to start with the simple statements and start delivering the value incrementally as you deliver the value, collect the data, 
continue to build the models. You cannot jump to AI with the direct model unless you have the whole data set ready, the label data is ready, all of that. There is a catch 22 as well, where do you have the data available? Because AI cannot be built without having a lot of label data where you're able to find these patterns and everything. So I give credit to those guys, the way they do it that way. We did it uh, partly like that as well. That's part of your uh, pragmatic prior approach instead of trying to build a whole castle. Exactly, because that's where you're getting the real data from customers. Yes, you try to seed the models with some synthetic data, some synthetic labeling and all of that stuff. You get creative. If you cannot capture data on your own, is there some public repository where the data might be available and you can still figure out a way? Having said that, I still believe that the way AI uh, fully automated, we know this whole Tesla self-service car is still far out there, but there is still this autopilot still is helpful where your hands are, it's still the safest car. It's still the most amazing experience to drive, but you still have to put your hands on the build. That's how I even think about well, Avoma's journey. People said, is it is the my automated notes are going to be 100% comprehensive? Do I have to stop taking notes? And we don't believe that was the truth. So one of the differentiations from day one we always had was that Avoma itself has the note-taking functionality where you can also manually take notes. So it's a best blend of human working with AI. That's actually you get the most comprehensive and most structured notes from your conversation without having to do a lot of effort. So the effort is reduced. You're able to deliver value in some other areas. That's how I think about the AIs at current today's state. So yeah. I don't think it's completely self-service, um, but it's getting better. It will continue to get better, but you should still adopt it. If you're not adopting, you're still living in this old stone age, not secure way of uh, doing things. Yes. It's like a very beginning of the journey, maybe gets you the Iron Man suit, not the full automated drone. Eventually it'll get, exactly. it'll give, it does give you superpowers. Yeah. So how's business? What stage are you guys, you raise money at, so what, what stage are you guys in? What are you focused on now as CEO? Business is definitely doing good. Thanks to, in a way, we have been one of those pandemic beneficiary kind of situation where with everyone working remotely, realizing that they're doing tons of these video meetings and there is a fatigue, we have been becoming more powerful and useful for a large variety of use cases other than the initial sales use case that we had. We have been in business for three years and we started the company three years ago. So we've raised seed capital and now, so we're growing monthly somewhere between 15, 20% month over month. And the primary focus is still, it's still a linear growth. I'm trying to figure out how can we get that exponential growth, the way the market has also growing exponentially. And what are those product-led growth? So we are product-led. A lot of our effort has been in making the product as our primary driver. There's a lot of virality. And so those are the things that we have been definitely focusing on. That's just one way of doing things. But then again, there are so many of these go-to-market channels that we have been experimenting. Some are working, some are failing. So keep focusing on that, uh, understand why it's not working and uh, continue to unlock some of these channels as well. Yeah. For you guys, like at, at your stage, how do you balance? I talk about this all the time. It's like there's product, market, go-to-market. Yeah. And you got to find some balance between the three. How do you, how are you balancing that now, especially for a company like yours, where you're probably just scratching the, the surface on R&D, on what you truly deliver to clients? Yeah. I would still say the emphasis is definitely still a little bit higher on the product and the delivery, largely because this is whole, we have been focusing on for the last year was the product market fit, really making sure if people are sticking to the product, what level of stickiness is there? Are they coming back? Is it just because like an insurance policy where my calls are being recorded and I can go back and listen to it once in a while? 
or are they really making it part of their daily workflow? Are they coming back? How is the collaboration happening? And so that was my uh, emphasis early on where are we really achieving that product market fit? And now uh, we are constantly seeing that feedback a lot of the time. So we do free trial. And after the few days of trial is over, 21 days trial is over, people have this uh, withdrawal symptoms. Now there's no more Avoma, they're relying on it. And they start coming back to us that, hey, I started relying on this and now it's, there's high stickiness. And when customers are telling you that their workplace is dependent on that, we understood that, okay, we're delivering the value, our churn is extremely low. And so that's when we know that now we need to start working on the scale efforts. So it's still, the product was definitely still part of that to really make sure we address those use cases and there's no kind of uh, leaky bucket. But now our go-to-market is definitely, we still have been doing go-to-market from day one. Yeah. It was never like the full product as the benefit of the being second time founder understood the value of the, I've never done any kind of coding or anything. My I'm hundred percent dedicated to always selling, always marketing. Right. Uh, it's my co-founders. They are always doing the development and uh, product building. That, that's what ensures a good split of responsibility when you have co-founders that complement each other in that way. I, and you know, we'll start to wrap here because you probably have customer meetings and everything, but I have a bone to pick on product-led growth. I think of product-led growth as middle of funnel to end of funnel. It will take users you have and help them activate, help them convert. It'll help them expand. It'll help them get more usage, but it doesn't get you new users unless you're talking about vi inherent virality, which is a separate thing. So how do, yeah. for a product-led growth company like yours, how do you think about activities around product-led growth, which is figure out the product and drive more activation, retention, revenue, yeah. versus literally raising awareness in the market, educating the market, getting people to know your brand, becoming leads, becoming users. Do you think about that under the umbrella product-led growth or do you think about it separately? And I'm asking honestly, because I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. And I think I do think about it. And I think it partly also depends on our business has that advantage. I don't know if every business has that. We do have when you think about meetings, they're inherently viral. Mm. And uh, I, I was just having a call today morning from a customer from Tel Aviv. And uh, I asked him, how did you hear about us? He said, hey, my brother is your paid customer now and he loves it. And he asked me to go and buy this. So when you think about it, what the product-led growth, what you're really trying to do is not just use acquisition and or adoption of the product, but you're trying to make these champions. There is that people are recommending word of mouth also comes in. Yeah. Uh, but even the way Avoma gets used, when our customers are using with their customers, we are getting a lot of customer referrals. So making our existing customers extremely valuable and happy about the usage itself, inherently it comes in that, hey, you got to check this out. And so that's where I feel about it does help for the new customer acquisition as well, without trying to do any gamification, without trying to implement these hacks for the sake of it and try to uh, blast your email. That's not what we do. It's, there is a concept I've recently heard, natural product market fit. Like yeah. you're truly trying to figure out if customers are naturally recommending your product. So that's something what we feel, we feel that we have achieved. But to your point, obviously my focus has been also on the awareness. So product-led growth doesn't mean that the, your awareness problem is not going to be solved. You still got to focus on content, writing content, SEO, some of those things that we are getting, a lot of uh, inbound leads. And one of the other channels that's working out really well for us is this partnerships. We are also in a unique spot where we work with all these CRM providers, all these conferencing providers, or maybe the phone dialer solutions. And so what ends up happening is that 
we end up basically becoming a valuable solution in their ecosystem. And so they end up recommending us. And so we're getting a lot of traffic. So I also, that's where the awareness happens. The more integrations we do, we're getting more customers from that channel as well. Got it. That's very astute. I, I agree. If you have inherent virality in your product, product-led growth actually helps you optimize that. And then exactly. separate from that, there's still the awareness piece so that you can put people into the product-led growth engine so that you can actually use, they use the product. You got to still get them into the product. So lastly, to wrap up from here, I know there's so much we can talk about. I think you're <laughs> in a really interesting space. For the founders that are, the big reason I do this podcast is I want to get people that are actively doing the Shawshank crawl to building a company versus people that have been there, done that, went to the beach and forgot the grind. So what would sure. you, what's like the one habit that you have that helps you navigate this Shawshank crawl to the next stage of growth for you? Maybe it's like a series A, like how, what's the one thing that you would give to other founders where you're like, this has really helped me tremendously to navigate this path. It might sound cliche, but I, at the end of the day, I believe there are two things that help me. One is having your not start point of view. If you don't have a point of view, it's going to get harder to execute uh, because there will be competitors who will raise shitload of money. There will be a lot of these acquisitions and every single one will, will do something. And so you can't get scared if you believe that you truly have that point of view. And that point of view also doesn't come in from thin air. You got to do that research. You got to do a lot of reading, understand how the world is evolving and try to find the uh, intersection of these different fields. So you start thinking about that. So that time is important as a founder for me to continue to spend on those things. But again, just thinking and having that point of view doesn't really uh, help you. Then the second thing I end up focusing was that not focus on the competitors too much, but really focus on the customers, not focus on the investors too much. There'll be a lot of investors who said no to us, mm. but that doesn't mean that uh, we didn't believe the customers really needed a solution in the market. Yes, there were competitors, there were some other vendors, but we also believe that there were a lot of gaps that the other vendors had still left and so we went and uh, did that qualification, did that customer validation. So I believe those two things keep me grounded, keep me focused, deliver the value to customers and have a point of view through that you're trying to deliver value to your customers. As long as those things are you're constantly doing, I believe that other things work out. It's, there's no one silver bullet that will unlock my growth. I have to throw these hundreds of lead bullets and there, it, a lot of playbooks have been defined, but these two things are my North Star that I wake up and I'm always pumped. There is never a single day in Avoma's journey where I felt discouraged or depressed. Challenges are there every single day, but these two things focus on customers and knowing that our vision, it's still not solved out there by other companies yet. And so that's why we keep going. I love that. That's so true. I think conviction in your vision and the customers as the source of truth and final arbiter on your vision is absolutely a pro tip that more founders need to adopt. VCs don't know, they're just trying to guess. And, and I think that's right. So yeah, thank you so much for taking some time today for doing this. I, I truly had a blast talking with you. I feel like we could go on forever. And I hope that you're back on the show and you can tell us more about the progress you're making. As I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, the whole reason I started this podcast, Assassin Scotch, is so that founders who are actively building can connect with each other, share stories with each other, learn from each other, as we're all actively doing this one thing, and that's navigating the Shawshank crawl to product market fit and to the next stage of growth for building a SaaS business. 
And so that's why I'm also really excited to introduce the brand new SaaS and Scotch community. So if you have a question for me, if you want to comment on this particular episode of the podcast, if you want to ask Aditya a question or ask me a question or just share your thoughts around how you navigate the Shawshank crawl, how you think about being a second time founder or saying no to feature requests, then I invite you to join the SaaS and Scotch community. It's completely free. You just have to follow the link in the show notes below. You can log in with one click using your Twitter account or your Facebook account. It's super easy. And you can go in and literally connect with other listeners of this very episode and this podcast and comment on each of the episodes and ask questions and share thoughts. I'm super excited about this. I think it'll really help us realize the goal of this particular podcast, which is to help SaaS founders that are actively doing the Shawshank crawl connect with each other. So follow the link below in the show notes, and I will see you inside our SaaS and Scotch community. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to also tweet this out. Uh, there's an easy link to tweet out the episode using the click to tweet link in the show notes, and also inside of the community, we'll have a link for that as well. And that way you can mention us and spread the word and have more interesting founders join our community. And lastly, remember, everyone needs a strategy for their life and their business. When you're with us, yours will be unstoppable. I'm TK, and I'll see you in the next episode.